The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Senior Bowl Day 3 recap and a preview about what to watch for in Saturday's Senior Bowl game. It's all coming at you on this episode of Bear With Me. What is going on, everybody? And welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. And today I'm coming at you with Jacob Infante one more time on day three and the final day of practice due to COVID restrictions. So we have a great show planned for you because now Jacob has seen not one, not two, but three solid days of practice from a lot of these important players that the Bears are going to be watching. And with the game coming up on Saturday, we've got a pretty good indication of what to be watching for. Jacob, how's it been in Mobile? Hey, Robert. Uh, it's been great. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, a lot warmer. And now the I think the sunburn's starting to kick in. My face is getting a little bit uh, – it's like stinging a little bit. But other than that, I'm having a blast. Uh, it's been really great being able to watch the practices, and I'm excited, really excited for the game on Saturday. Yes, Jacob, they call those sunburns. And here, especially in the Texas, <laughs> Alabama South, you can get them year round and you got to be ready for it. I always remember I used to because so I played lacrosse in high school and this meant that I'd often travel up north to do camp related stuff. And it was always funny where if it dipped into the snowy weather, I was a weenie. But if it was hot, my skin did not burn. And I was like, sweat, what's wrong with this? This is normal. It, it is funny where it's like, <laughs> like different cultural climates we we get used to different things but so either way enough about the weather because we could probably spend a little you get the idea i am dying to hear about everything we usually talk about in day three i'll start with what i care about the most mac jones is he establishing himself or is he fading back into the background yeah i feel like mac jones especially with his performance on days two and three uh, he solidified himself as the best performing quarterback here in Mobile, as well as the obviously the top quarterback on my board. I feel that in terms of accuracy, he's been the most consistent. He's been able to uh, go through his progressions the smoothest and be able to look past his first read, uh, maneuvering the pocket, evading pressure, all that stuff. I mean, obviously, it's not a totally perfect simulation of how a game goes because there isn't pure tackling. Uh, But at least you're able to get, you know, somewhat of a sense of, okay, this guy would have been able to tackle him. This guy wouldn't have been able to. So 
with that in mind, I do think that Mac Jones has been the best quarterback here in Mobile. Uh, I think so, someone who stood out to me in day one is Jamie Newman, but he's kind of faded a little bit into the background, especially here on day three. I remember he's thrown uh, four interceptions in the past two practices in scrimmage, and one of them in particular was went towards uh, UCF safety Richie Grant, who had an amazing day today. I'll, I'm sure I'll get into that later, but Jamie Newman showed basically what his tape showed. He's got a strong arm. He's got flashes of really impressive accuracy, and he's a good athlete, but he's got a ways to go in terms of decision-making. When you're watching a quarterback, at least from what I've noticed, if they look in the same direction for a certain amount of time, that doesn't always mean that they're staring down their first target. It could mean they're staring down a high-low or they're observing routes around them. But at least from my perspective, it seemed like Jamie Newman was actually staring down his targets because he was forcing a lot of throws. Sometimes they were great. I'll give him the credit for that. He had a handful of pretty good throws, but a lot of times also it was kind of questionable. So I do think Mac Jones purely uh, pulled away as the top guy there. And then there's a big drop off. I do think uh, Ian Book out of Notre Dame and Kellen Mond from Texas A&M had pretty good days. But again, you're not really looking at those guys as starter caliber players. You're looking at them more as early to middle day three sort of backup types. Yeah. And you know, you bring up something. I do want to spend a little bit of time just talking about the difference scout from a scouting perspective between a multi-read quarterback and a one read quarterback and like the common pitfalls of watching each, because as a lot of athletes come out of high school ball, it's worth remembering dear listener that in high school, more often than not, systems are getting designed around assuming that the defensive safeties and cornerbacks aren't going to be as good as your wide receivers, so you can kind of count on some reads. That then bubbled up to college. We started to see that with the Cliff Kingsbury Texas Tech offense, as well as tons of other offenses across the country, Oregon being a very notable one, Baylor for a little while there before really nasty stuff happened to them, where again, quarterbacks just had to look at one guy because they didn't even have to check off of him. They knew they could get him open this has kind of carried into the nfl but i want to use mitch trubisky as a great example of what you're going to get you are going to get some wow some eye-popping throws because if they're staring down a single guy if they're not open and just kind of open the a lot of times these one read throwers can fit that ball into a window and make you say whoa that was gorgeous but you're gonna get the nasty stuff too and so like you're talking about, because I've seen it, Jacob, where the Tom Brady field general galaxy brain kind of quarterback, a lot of times the accuracy is a lot spottier because their brain's moving all over the place and they're just trying to get the ball into a neighborhood. Whereas it's those one read throwers that can sometimes have what looks like the sexier arm, but it keeps going into the wrong direction. Receivers keep getting hit hard or competed for the ball. I just wanted to throw that out there because what you're talking about with Newman sounds very common of a true one read quarterback and something to probably stay away from at the NFL level. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like he's got a, a long way to go and Wake Forest offense was kind of designed around that one read sort of system. And I feel that it he's not quite there in terms of being able to uh, make full field reads. And one thing especially that I noticed is in like seven on seven drills, they don't always, you know, you don't necessarily have 
pass rush, you've got a bunch of weapons out there and, you know, the quarterback's just sitting there and waiting for guys to get open. And I feel like a lot of the time, Jamie Newman was just staring down and sitting in the pocket and waiting for plays to develop. And then he deliver a good throw, which in all reality, isn't how football is played. You've got pressure going up against you and you can't sit in this immaculate pocket for 10 seconds and then deliver a jaw dropping throw. That's just not how the game's played. And especially even with 11 on 11 situations and full team scrimmages without there being actual tackles uh, and the inability for defenders to sack the quarterback, you can see him moving. You can see a quarterback moving around in the pocket and you think, Oh, he's elusive. I like that. But if there are defenders right near him, then it doesn't really matter because that would be a sack in real life. So that's try. That's something you got to keep in mind that, yeah, sure. He pulled off, you know, a sexy throw there. He was able to show off nice velocity and able to move around in the pocket. But if you're doing so as a result of staring down a read and not being, you know, not having, defenders breathing down your neck to actually tackle you, then that kind of plays in your whole evaluation. And I feel like that was a bit more apparent in Mac Jones and it well, rather in his ability to avoid that. I feel like most of the quarterbacks, Newman included, uh, Kellen Mond included and the whole gang, I feel like they tended to stare down the targets a bit too long and hold on to the ball a bit too long. So yeah, I think that uh, speaks a lot in terms of one read quarterbacks and in terms of guys who maybe may not have as uh, acute of a sense of what to look for in those full field reads. Which, you know, it's funny because not only does that sound fairly par for the course, that Mac Jones would be probably the better quarterback at staying on time. But, you know, it's funny because here we sit on Thursday, big game coming up on Saturday for a lot of these guys. And it's not going to be a broom. They're not going to be wearing red, red jerseys, I assume. And those defensive linemen and edge rushers especially are going to be looking to make a statement if they can get to any of these quarterbacks. So when it comes to the game on Saturday, who do you think has the most to prove and what do you want to see in general? We'll start from the quarterbacks and I think we could cascade this down all throughout the rest of what you saw on practice and going into the game so that we can give folks something to look forward to watch for, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, when I look at the quarterback position, I think Jamie Newman obviously stands out as the, the quarterback with the most to gain because Mac Jones situation, he's, it's not a hundred percent sure he's going to be able to play on Saturday because he rolled his ankle and there's, you know, certain uh, precautions that he probably has to take at this point in the uh, pre-draft process. So I'd have to say Jamie Newman, especially considering he hasn't played in a legitimate game since 2019. And even with uh, these three days of practices, he's still been kind of erratic and we don't know exactly how he's going to fare in an actual setting. So with that in mind, I do think Jamie Newman's the most of the game because I think the other quarterbacks are pretty entrenched in that day three territory, I think. Jamie Newman's the only one with the possibility because he has the upside to rise into the third round potentially. I don't think it happens. I think he's going to have to put on an incredible showing for something like that to happen. But I think he has the, the best tools at the senior bowl right now. So for that alone and all the uncertainty surrounding him, I think he has the most to prove this Saturday. Makes sense to me. Which positions, by the way, did you get to watch today? 
Yeah, so I watched quite a bit of offensive and defensive linemen again because the second day around, I tried to make that a priority, and I re- I was really impressed with this class, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, so I went around doing that again, and one player in particular who didn't play uh, on day three that I was looking forward to watching again was Deontay Smith out of East Carolina. He's had a really good camp. Uh, but other than that, pretty much everyone else who's put together a really strong couple days was able to play and they were able to continue their momentum. You're looking at offensive lineman David Moore, a guard out of Grambling State. He had a good first two days, followed that up with another good day three. He's one of those powerful, squatty interior blockers who, you know, might not be the most athletic, but you lock up with them at the point of attack and they'll shut you down. And there are a handful of other guys too. Cincinnati tackle James Hudson III, consistently good throughout these three days. North Dakota State's Dylan Raddins, consistently good at tackle over the past three days. Considering he didn't, he played one game in 2020, I was really impressed with how he did. Uh, Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama, he had a rough first two days, especially a rough uh, second day but he bounced back in a major way. And I think that that's huge for a guy who's in that second round borderline first round territory for him to bounce, really bounce back in that last day of practice was impressive to me. And then you've got Quinn Miners, the guard out of Wisconsin Whitewater. I think he's been one of the biggest stories coming out of this draft, being a small school guy, being uh, a big guy who's got a crop top where you can see his gut hanging out, you know, uh, and he's got long hair and a beard. You know, he's he's not exactly a missable guy when you see him out there. So that that got a lot of attention. And once he had that many eyes on him, he was able to dominate, especially in one-on-ones as well as in team scrimmages. He had another good day on day three. He actually broke a bone in his hand, but he came back to practice. He finished practice, and he's reportedly likely to play on Saturday. So that's, I think that speaks volumes to how tough of a guy this is. I mean, sure, the risk there is huge for a potential error, but I think that that's impressive that he's got this mentality of, you know, do whatever it takes to showcase your skills. And, you know, being from an FCS school, or actually that's not even FCS, I believe that's Division Three, Wisconsin Whitewater is, uh, you're looking at a guy who could really thrive with a true game setting against some of that power five competition. So those are just a couple offensive linemen that stood out to me on day three. Uh, And I don't think it's any coincidence really that most of the guys who stood out to me on day three were guys who stood out to me over the course of the week. Makes sense. What kind of drills were they running by the way? Yeah. So they had a handful of drills where they just have uh, individual one-on-ones they have, you know, edge rushers over the tackle. They have uh, three techs and nose tackles and one techs and all that. They move around a lot of guys. Uh, that was probably the most fun for me to watch, honestly. They had a couple drills where it was uh, three offensive linemen against two defensive linemen kind of practicing down blocking uh, and taking angles on the move there. Uh, that was another drill that, you know, might not have been as – it might not have been – as efficient for the defensive lineman, but rather just for the offensive lineman perspective of being able to uh, take those angles, work on that hand placement, and you know be able to seal guys off in the run game. 
And then of course you had the team scrimmages themselves, which is, you know, essentially just a regular practice. So those are the main ones. They had a couple other individual offensive line drills where they had one offensive lineman holding a bag and then another uh, jabbing into it. They have just regular sparring at the point of attack, but in terms of going up against defenders, those that I'm those uh, three that I mentioned, those were where he got to see a lot of reps for a lot of guys. That makes total sense. So does that mean that when as we go into this next game, that watching for how these guys handle assignments like stunts and watching what they're able to do, it, obviously simple things like one on ones of the run game, one on ones of the pass game, but also potentially how they execute more movement oriented assignments. Like if a guard has to pull, how does he handle it? If the defense runs a stunt, how do they deal with it? That sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's what I'm expecting a lot more of in the game. And I think that's going to be uh, insanely helpful because we didn't get to see a ton of stunts along the defensive line, didn't necessarily get to see a lot of guys pulling, uh, especially at you know the guard position. So there's a lot still of evaluation that still has to be done that is going to be available to us on Saturday in the actual Senior Bowl game itself. So, you know, by by no means was – were these past three days a perfect evaluation period, but they were still a good one. Mm-hmm. And the fact that a lot of these, especially small school offensive linemen, were able to do as well as they did was certainly impressive to me. Absolutely. And it's awesome to see these guys establish themselves because in that power five competition, you get a sense for who's going to be able to handle it. But when you add the FCS and division three, like you're saying guys to the mix, it's a real moment that if I was an evaluator, I'd be looking and saying, okay, thank goodness. Cause there's a bit of a smell test there, right? I'm sure there's some guys you've seen and who knows, maybe, you know, some names where it kind of looks like the, the water might be a little bit too hot for them in this level of competition, but then there are the other guys that fit right in. And especially if like you're talking about with the guy with the beard, if they can stick out and still remain, even when under scrutiny, uh, somebody that you think of positively, it's only a good sign. Yeah, and I feel like with a lot of the small school offensive linemen, most of them actually played really well. I think there are a couple of uh, growing pains, I might say, for a handful of guys. I know uh, Spencer Brown in particular out of Northern Iowa, he's been looked at as a late day two, early day three type of guy. And while necessarily I wouldn't say that he's been bad, he did have a handful of you know, questionable reps where he looked to be out of place. But overall – He's he made some good plays as well. Uh, Robert Jones out of Middle Tennessee is another guy I probably should mention. Uh, he did pretty well. He's impressively consistent, I should say, in terms of uh, how he was able to perform at the guard spot. Jalen Moore out of Western Michigan. That's not as small of a school, but still, it's not a Power Five school. And he had a couple growing pains too, but overall, not a bad performance for him. So. I think that the fact that so many guys were able to play as well as they did, considering the fact that they're not from power five blue chip schools, that's really impressive. And I think that that class deserves a lot of credit for it. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that you just mentioned that I think is huge and it reminds me to call it out and you're going to have to, or I, please forgive me, help me out. Remind me the middle Tennessee player's name, Jones. Robert is that Jones. Robert, Robert Jones. Jones. Yeah. 
that's a huge or uh, you said what you said about him that he's impressively consistent couldn't be more important at the offensive line if you're batting say if you're batting six six hundred percent or whatever you'd say if you're batting 600 at the offensive yeah. line position and of that or of your wins let's say half of them are huge amazing pancake blocks you're still blowing way too many assignments offensive line is a rare position in football where it's not about what you do sometimes like wide receiver where hey if you run a bad route you run a bad route so hopefully the quarterback looks a different direction it's about making sure that on every single play you execute your assignment as well as you can and while you make it sound like jones may not necessarily be like a road grader and a hyper grinder and somebody that's going to take a 330 uh, pound defensive tackle push him back and then take on another blocker because he's just playing so well but he could fit into a system hit his mark show up in pass pro and basically play like what it sounds like anyways an elevated form of alex bars or sam mustafer where you don't it doesn't feel quite as much like hey these guys are playing really well for depth guys and instead feels a little more like would james daniels like not as a comp but in in that style fit in where it's nothing crazy it's nothing sexy but it's working and it's it's ultimately helping the offense yeah i feel like that's a lot of the play that we saw out of robert jones i do think that you know strength is his calling card in this class i feel like in terms of his anchor he's able to just stay put and not get pushed back in the pocket he'll have his handful of you know nasty pancake blocks but you know more often than not he was just able to hold guys up and i feel like that that might be you know, just as important as some of those more flashy being able to pancake guys, because more often than not, you're not sticking with one guy necessarily the entire time in pass protection, where if you go off and then eventually toss them over to the side and pancake them and lay on top of them, uh, that's more of something you do in the run game. And even then, that that's not the case all the time. You're looking for guys who can just hold up at the point of attack. Occasionally, if someone else is coming over, they can pick up a combo block or a, a stun or a double team or something like that. And I feel like Robert Jones definitely showed, you know, some impressive traits as well as a lot of the small school guys. Again, I can't say enough how impressed I was with a lot of those offensive That's linemen. Awesome. Is there anybody that as we move into Saturday's game, you're coming in with question marks that you'd like to see answered? Yeah, I feel like one guy in particular would have to be Trey Smith, the guard out of Tennessee. Uh, he's been looked at heavily as a day two prospect, mostly late second, early third, kind of that range. Considering the fact that he was one of the more highly touted players coming into this class, uh, it was kind of underwhelming. I mean, he had a handful of really good blocks, a handful of pancakes and looked strong on some plays, but he struggled against the speed rush. And that's not a strength of his in terms of his ability to change direction uh, and, and uh, his acceleration when climbing to the second level. And I think he had some issues against some of the speedier uh, hybrid type of edge D tackle guys. I think that that was a little bit of an issue for him. And we saw him get knocked off balance uh, and just overall get beat at the point of attack. I mean, I wouldn't say he was terrible, but he wasn't as good as a lot of people were hoping. So I feel like this opportunity, especially keeping him at guard because he took some reps at tackle. I don't think that's where he's going to play long-term. 
I feel like you stick him at guard, see how he performs in the game. And if he plays well, then, you know, I guess you don't really have to panic. But if he gets beat consistently in the game, then I think you might have to start worrying because he does have some issues in his game. And, you know, that combined with a poor senior bowl, obviously you shouldn't be putting an insane amount of stock in one week of football and the tape overall uh, should play priority. And Trey Smith does have good tape, but it's a minor concern. That's exactly what it is. It doesn't have to be a major concern, but it can be a concern nonetheless. And that's where I'm at with Trey Smith right now, because I was really looking forward to watching him and I had high expectations for him and he just kind of blended in. Right. Like you're saying, I mean, without guy or with guys that stand out, you're going to have guys that fade into the background. So while it's a bummer to hear it about Trey Smith, it does happen every year. It's a red flag. Hopefully he can recover and join what is an otherwise very deep class, but that depth eventually is going to start pushing some guys down. And if you're like, you're saying he's graded as a late second, early third rounder and some of these other guys jump up the board, he could be looking at a fourth, fifth, sixth round position and it's much harder to make it there in the NFL. But enough about those. At some point, I've got to give our sponsor a word. We're a touch over there. So, Jacob, we will step back. We'll let them have their say. When we come back, we'll talk an even more Senior Bowl like game preview, and we'll talk about the rest of the positions. And we are back with Bear With Me, with me, myself, Robert Schmitz, as well as Jacob and Vante talking about the Senior Bowl here as we wrap up Senior Bowl Day practices. Now, Jacob, I know you consider yourself a wide receiver cornerback specialist, wide receiver primarily, and hey, that means you know a lot about cornerbacking because you watch the guys against them. <laughs> Did you get a chance to see any of them today? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like day three was a little bit different for the wide receivers because we saw a lot more of red zone situations. Uh, throughout the first two days, we saw a handful of just general one-on-ones have a lot of space to work with, a lot of the field uh, to just kind of move around and do whatever you want. Uh, today, we saw a little bit more of a compact playing field. And I think that that was a little bit more realistic. Uh, I mean, obviously there are some cases where uh, double or triple moves we're able to get receivers open and you know quarterbacks can't hang on to the ball that long in real life uh but there were a handful of receivers who were able to uh, stand out for me I think Nico Collins out of Michigan was one of those guys and I was looking forward to watching him especially in those red zone situations because one of his calling cards is his size and his physicality I mean whenever you watch him on tape he's 6'4 and I think he's around that 220 uh, pound mark. So he's a big guy for the wide receiver position. And he showcased that uh, in drills today. He looked physical at the catch point, but also able to create separation and pretty shifty for such a big guy. Uh, Josh Palmer from Tennessee and Austin Watkins from UAB, two guys who have put together pretty good days uh, over the past three days and have shown that even for receivers who are slightly bigger, not quite Nico Collins height, but around 6'1", 6'2", that they can get open. And I was really impressed with their consistent separation, uh, whether it's in one-on-ones, whether it's in the red zone, whether it's in uh, team scrimmages, regardless of the situation, they played well. So I was impressed with that. 
Uh, one receiver I did want to talk about because he's a little bit of an interesting case is Kadarius Tony out of Florida. He had he did a really good job of creating separation on a consistent basis, and I was definitely impressed with how he looked in one-on-ones in terms of getting open and some of the agility drills that they have the guys running before practice, uh, just working on their crispness and their overall fluidity. Tony really excelled there. But he's had some issues with drops, and I, that continued on day three. It was pretty clear on day two that he was going to have a handful of uh, issues in terms of ball security, and that continued on day three. So I think that that's something that going forward, especially in the game, considering he'll get a decent amount of touches, knowing his uh, profile and his overall resume, he's one of the more highly touted receivers there. So I'd like to see Kadarius Tony work on his hands a little bit and show in the game that he's able to make those catches and contested catch situations. And it's not even that, but just in workouts in general, he had a couple of instances. He was open. He either dropped the ball or he bobbled it. It, it, it just wasn't pretty. And, you know, as good as he was able to create separation as athletic as he is, I mean, we've seen with Anthony Miller, if you have issues with drops, you know, that's kind of all for naught. And while I think that Tony is a bit more explosive than Miller and he's, you know, it doesn't have as much of a concern about miscommunication and running the wrong routes. I do think that hands are a bit of a concern for Tony as well. So that's something I want to see him uh, try and work on over this off season because I was otherwise very impressed with him, but that those images of those drops just kind of, you know, play over in my head and I can't really shake that feeling. You know, it's funny you mentioned Anthony Miller. I think another great example, because I, I always call this the Josh Bellamy complex, right? Where <laughs> I always felt like Josh Bellamy was way better than people understood at getting open. And that's why he kept dropping the ball in so many high profile situations because he had generated the separation and then couldn't reel it in. It's such a complicated thing because I'm, I'm granted, I know mock drafts aren't always reliable. Some had Michael Gallup in like the first 10 picks uh, for years in Gallup's draft, but I've seen Tony mocked in the late first like as high as pick number 19 on reputable job or like mock draft websites. And I know I don't track the draft fairly or like super duper well, but to hear that he's struggling with drops like this, it seems like the kind of thing, like you mentioned with Brown from Tennessee a little while ago, it's a red flag. It's not what you want to have at these practices because it sounds like he's generating separation like you would expect of a player of his pedigree, but he's not cashing in on the opportunities. At the end of the day, a beautiful route that does, that ends up with the ball in and out of your hands is an incomplete pass, and that's not something that can show up on, say, fourth down in a big game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is a bit of a concern going forward. And like you said, you can get open. Uh, we've seen with Josh Bellamy when he was at the Bears. You can get open. You can execute pretty nice routes. But if you can't catch the ball, then you're not really doing too much of a service to your team. And with Kadarius Tony, I personally didn't notice a huge issue with that uh, with him on tape. Obviously, he's not the biggest receiver. He's about 5'9". Uh, if my memory serves me correctly and his hands appeared to be just okay, but he didn't really have too many drops on tape. So the fact that he was dropping balls, it seemed like left and right 
uh, it was concerning to me. And for a player of that pedigree, who's projected potentially as a late first rounder, that's not exactly something you want to see. I heading into this, I was in the firm belief that I wouldn't take him in the first round, but I'd look at him uh, on day two, particularly in the second round in that early to middle range. And ultimately that's where I think he will go because he's got, he's still fairly raw. I mean, obviously he's an electric athlete and he proved he was able to get open, but he's still developing a little bit as a route running technician. So all that considered, I do think that Kadarius Tony, at least in my eyes is a day two prospect. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy watching the guy because he's a blast to watch and I'd like to have him on my football team. But all things considered, I do think that he's still a bit of a work in progress. Makes sense. But, you know, one thing I also want to go back to, you talk about how this is a red zone drill and that they were they had less space to work with. That sounds a lot more interesting to me as an evaluator than some of the one-on-ones they run. Because based on what I've seen, a lot of times they, and correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of times they'll give the receiver pretty much the entire field. If he want, or like he basically operates out of the slot and most of the time, there are plenty of quarterbacks that just aren't comfortable defending out of the slot. The sideline is their friend, especially true outside corners. They're not going to play in the slot. Kyle Fuller does not play as a nickel corner. And so sometimes you can get a poor representation of how the corner is playing because he's getting danced in an individual one-on-one that he's literally never going to see in a game because he's always able to use the sidelines. Whether it comes to the corners or the safeties, because I imagine that the red zone drill also involves a little 11 on 11 action, right? Or at least seven on seven. Uh, yeah, there were a handful of 11 on 11 plays in the red zone. Uh, there was a good section, I believe it was around the mid to end point of those practices where they had 11 on 11 situations in the red zone. We were able to see uh, running the ball, throwing the ball, just general uh, red zone play calling. And you're right. I do think that those type of situations are more helpful for the uh, wide receiver uh, in terms of getting an accurate evaluation, because you're a receiver in the slot going up against corners who, you know, let's face it. They, most of them play on the outside, whether they're, you know, lined up on the boundary or the field side, the slot isn't where they necessarily thrive that combined with all this space, no additional defenders around there to try and take up space. They can run wherever they want, just as long as they get open, that's all that matters. So I feel like the red zone drills uh, from a one-on-one perspective were at least a little bit more accurate in terms of a receiver's ability to initially get open and their ability to uh, make uh, impressive grabs at the catch point in tight coverage. So I was, you know, impressed to see that it might not be as flashy. It might not be as entertaining to watch, but it arguably might be more important. Absolutely. And if anything, it almost sounds like it's invaluable tape for not just the wide receivers, but also those corners and safeties. You were mentioning at the top of the show that a specific safety sparkled when it came to defensive backs who caught your eye. Yeah, I feel like I can't start with anyone except Richie Grant, who I mentioned at the top of the show. I feel like uh, a safety out of UCF, Grant was really good today. And 
that's not hyperbole to say it might be the best defensive performance I've seen on a single day at the senior bowl this year. He was lights out in coverage, not just in zone and uh, two high shells, but also when he was tasked in man coverage. And we saw that a couple times we had safeties going up in man against receivers, which more often than not, isn't necessarily an ideal situation because safeties usually aren't as fluid and immediate, you know, changing in direction in those sharper uh, situations as the cornerbacks are. But Richie Grant played well. He was able to recognize route concepts well, and he had the fluidity and the athleticism to make plays. Uh, he ended up with two interceptions, if I'm not mistaken, today. And one of them was a really nice pass in the red zone drill. Well, not a nice pass, but a nice play rather in red zone drills. Uh, the opposite of a nice pass, actually. Uh, <laughs> I want to say it was against Jamie Newman. I'm pretty sure it was against Jamie Newman. That was one of the picks that he threw uh, in the red zone drills where Richie Grant was playing. Uh, I don't remember exactly what type, but I know that it had two high safeties. So either, you know, cover two, cover four, whatever it might've been six. I, I don't know. Fact of the matter is Richie Grant was able to read the quarterback's eyes he was able to jump the route effectively and he was able to make an impressive play in the end zone. And that's what closed out the uh, red zone drills. And I remember the side, the defense on the sidelines was going absolutely crazy because, you know, that's a really nice note for your defense to end on as you're moving on to an next drill. So Richie Grant looked really good. I think that there are a handful of other defensive backs that stood out to me. Uh, Benjamin St. Juice out of uh, Minnesota he was a guy that was really impressive to me at six foot three. He looked, uh, obviously he's a big guy, but he was able to disrupt guys at the point of attack in the lines uh, near the line of scrimmage. He was also fluid and he was patient and letting routes develop. And I feel like, especially in red zone situations, being a bigger guy helps you out a lot. And I think that was apparent for him. Uh, I feel like uh, Hamza Nasiruddin out of Florida State showed some promise today. Uh, he, he's had an overall solid senior bowl, if I you know, like to say so. I feel like in terms of defensive uh, backs, I feel like Hamza Nasiruddin was one of the more consistent guys. And uh, admittedly, I don't know how many of the cornerbacks truly like amazingly stood out to me. Uh, Thomas Graham out of Oregon had a good day. He had, he's had a nice overall senior bowl. And I think that his first day was his best, but he had another very good day on uh, day three here. Uh, Keith Taylor was pretty good out of Washington, but yeah, I mean, obviously I feel like the receivers in this class do outweigh the corners a little bit, but the fact that there are still defensive backs who in this setting, which let's face it, isn't necessarily too kind to defensive backs in one-on-ones uh, just because of how much time that they have to let the route develop. It's very tough to keep up with guys. So kudos to them. I feel like uh, the cards were stacked against them a little bit, and I'm excited to see how a lot of them do in the actual game. But those are just a couple of the defensive backs that were able to stand out to me. And like you said, I mean, you can't have every draft class be loaded at every position. If it's a receiver-heavy class, the corners are probably not going to play that well. And not to mention, cornerback's an extremely hard position. It's I actually have started noticing that, to me at least, it's kind of similar to tight end and that only it, it only seems as if we get 
a couple prospects a year that really stand out. And then we find out later down the road whether there was any diamond in the rough there, you know, like whether anybody in the third round, fourth round, seventh round, if you're Richard Sherman, just develops into a star, but not a ton of guys just stand out out of the box. And even some that do, I'm looking at you, Jeff Okuda, don't just jump <laughs> off the tape immediately when they do get in the game. I mean, quarterbacks extremely hard. It takes a while to learn. And so it doesn't surprise me at all. But it's nice to hear that there are a couple guys at the very least that are playing well and that there's some safety talent shining because if the Bears were going to make any defensive upgrade, I'm definitely looking at a late round safety and a potential nose tackle. But we're getting we're getting low enough on time that I've got to ask you the big question, right? As we look towards this senior bowl game. Who do you want to see a little more from? Who do you think just needs to hold their water? Like, who are the names that you're watching? And I don't, I don't need to hear guys like Mac Jones. Like you mentioned, he's kind of cemented himself. Who are the guys that are still on your list as, like, potentially could change their fate here in this game? And who have you pretty much made your mind up on? Yeah, uh, I feel like one guy I feel like has the opportunity to kind of change his narrative is Brian Mills out of North Carolina Central. I feel like he's had a bit of an up and down time at the Senior Bowl, and obviously he's not from uh, an FBS school, or at least he's not from, yeah, a Power 5 school regardless. So when I look at him, he's got length, he's got fluidity, but his instincts are you know, admittedly still developing. And I think that that showed on tape when he was able to go up against pretty simple route concepts. He looked athletic. He looked sure of himself. He looked fluid. He looked physical, but on some of those more intricate patterns, I do feel like he was able to uh, create some of that separation against him, which, you know, that's not something you necessarily want. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he does in the game. I don't know necessarily how much playing time he'll get, but I do think if he's able to get playing time, then I do think that he's got a real opportunity to kind of control his narrative because as it stands right now, there were probably worse guys out there, but at the same time, there were definitely better guys out there. And for a small school prospect to kind of fit in and just blend into the mix, uh, that probably indicates they're going late on day three or they're going as a, a priority undrafted free agent. So I feel like there's still time uh, for Brian Mills. So this game in particular, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does. Uh, another guy that I was honestly kind of high on who rather disappointed me was uh, Ade Ogundiji from Notre Dame. He's a bit another one of those tweener uh, defensive line edge rushers who, I mean, I think he's a better fit as an edge rusher personally, but some people have him as a regular defensive lineman. So, you know, it is what it is in that sort of situation, I don't feel like he was able to live up to my own individual hype for him. Uh, I saw a guy who's pretty explosive on tape and did a pretty good job of uh, combining speed and power and overall hand usage. And I didn't see that totally on tape or when I was watching practices. I feel like he did struggle a bit with strength at the point of attack uh, regardless of where he was lined up, whether he was on the left side or the right side or an edge or whatnot. And he, he showed some promise, but overall I saw too many uh, oppor- too many times rather that he got, you know, pancaked in the dirt or he was just, you know, shut down at the point of attack. So I feel like 
with a quarterback sitting in the pocket and that kind of internalized pressure, I do want to see if offensive, you know, an offensive lineman will be able to hold him up in a certain situation. So I still have faith in him. I liked the tape, so I'm going to stick mostly with that, but a rather underwhelming senior bowl performance kind of sticks out in my mind. Those are two guys in particular who I feel like they have an opportunity to kind of uh, seize this opportunity and kind of change the narrative around them. And I wouldn't even say either of them were absolutely terrible. I just feel like they were kind of underwhelming, all things considered. So yeah, those are a couple of guys I think have an opportunity to do that. It'll be really cool. I mean, I can't wait for it. It's the part of the senior bowl that, you know, people that aren't there can actually watch. So it should be exciting, not just to get some some pre-Super Bowl weekend football because we're not getting the Pro Bowl anymore. Instead, it sounds like we're getting a Madden 21 tournament. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, either way, we can get we can get some football here on this weekend and we can start to see a couple of prospects. I know I am dying to see if I can hear those pads pop from Carlos from Wake Forest a little bit because you didn't mention him today. But just thinking about the sound that somebody can make with that kind of power, I mean, that's one way to stand out in the middle of a game. And, hey, who knows? If anybody can shine. It really is a 22-man stage every time both teams line up against each other in the Senior Bowl. And that's something that I can't wait to see. If there was one thing that you had to take away from these last three days of prospect of practice, whether it's a prospect or two, whether it's a takeaway from the class, like what, whatever it is, is there a final thought you would say you have over the last three days of senior bowl practice? One final thought, uh, at least from a bears perspective is in retrospect, I'm really sad that they don't have a fourth round pick this year, because I feel like this is a sweet spot of the draft late third, early fourth. I'm looking at a lot of guys who will potentially go in that range who have really impressed me. And generally with those guys, you either see pro bowlers or you see guys who fizzle out uh, in the coming years. And I feel like there are at least a couple guys with potential to be pro bowlers. Obviously I'm not saying they will be because that's a huge assumption to make for guys who are gonna go around that range. But all told, I'm really impressed with the overall depth of this draft class. And sure, maybe it's not as high in terms of late first round talent. I feel like there's a pretty big gap between early first and late first. But if you got picks early day three, late day two, then you're in luck because I look at a lot of senior bowl guys. That's where I expect them to go. And I feel like just watching this class, there are so many guys who have stood out to me and I can say, hey, I'd, I'd be comfortable with this guy starting for my team day one. So I feel like that is a sweet spot in this draft. I don't know if the Bears are going to be able to acquire a fourth round pick uh, if they're trading back in the first or whatever it is they do with their draft picks. I have no idea. But I feel like they're regardless of where the Bears pick, they should have plenty of opportunities, at least from out of senior bowl guys. They should have plenty of opportunities to pick up some talented young players in this year's draft. Absolutely. And hey, it all depends on what Ryan Pace's big aggressive move. You can trademark that because he has one every offseason is to call out a potential option 
I'm well aware a lot of Bears fans don't want to, to hope for Deshaun Watson, but it would be kind of up Pace's alley to make the move for somebody like him. And, and you never know when it comes to Watson's no trade clause, who he has struck down in terms of where he wants to be. Hard to know. But if the Ryan Pace and the Bears don't trade up in the first round and don't trade away their first and second round picks, a trade down and scooping up a fourth round pick could very well be on the table. Uh, God forbid we don't take a fifth rounder and trade it up to the fourth rounder and take next year's fifth or something like that. But you never know with that too, like you're talking about. Sounds like this class is chock full of those. It's a day two guy, 100%. And then you end up with like 80 of those and they can't all fit on day two. And so that's a good place to be if you are the Bears when you need starters at a lot of your different positions that right now are pretty thin. And so we'll have to see what Pace can do to add some capital there. Either way, you have laid the table beautifully for the Senior Bowl and I can't wait to watch the game. Jacob, thank you so much for coming on. How has it been like so far in mobile and air mobile is there anything else you're looking to do besides the game uh i'm not 100 percent sure i was able to explore a little bit downtown yesterday uh but overall i've just been kind of hanging out in the area around my hotel you know going out grabbing uh food at some of the local places trying to take advantage of this opportunity to uh try foods that maybe aren't available to me uh back home i've had a handful of hush puppies since I've been down here and I've really been enjoying that because we don't have a ton of those back home. Uh, So yeah, I don't know. I got to figure out what I'm going to do here on Friday with this day off, but who knows? I might go exploring. I take a little time to, you know, digest this tape and everything, but also I'm going to try and relax a little bit because it has been a pretty hectic couple days since I got here on Monday. Relax. You have earned it. Thank you so (laughs) much for giving or being so giving of your time as to jump on and explain to a lot of us what's been going on at the Senior Bowl, who's been impressing, and everything around it. We can't wait. or We're so excited that you have done this. Thanks again, and we can't wait to hear your thoughts on the game on Saturday. Absolutely. Thank you so much, as always, for having me on and reaching out. It's been a a real uh, pleasure to be on here. Of course. Seriously, it's a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. And folks, that's going to be our show today. Thanks again to Jacob for jumping on over the last three days in a row to provide the best coverage possible. We are lucky to have him. If you like what he has to say, go follow him over on his Twitter to get the most up-to-date information on what's going on in the Senior Bowl. And if you like what I have to say, be sure to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz, where I'll be talking plenty of other off-season, including the draft and certainly trying to retweet the best stuff I can. Until next time, Bears fans, bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me.